Some viewers may find the following video disturbing. Viewer discretion is advised. Hello, this is Christopher from Defeat Modernism, and welcome to my latest video, The Book of Gomorrah by St. Peter Damien. Uh, as you might have seen in the beginning of this video, the viewer advisory warning, uh, I did age restrict this video as well because of the subject matter. Uh, this is obviously a very disturbing topic, uh, a very sensitive subject, especially in what is termed as quote unquote Pride Month. Um, but I felt this is absolutely a necessary uh, work to read for people to hear especially because so, so many people are desensitized because of how immoral our society is. Uh, as you can see on the screen, that painting is a painting uh, of the destruction of the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And I would argue and say that we are far worse in our time than they were then, mainly because we had the gospel preached throughout the world uh, we've had the tastings of the church for 2,000 years. Uh, we had what was Christian civilization. And now the countries of the world have thrown that away and have returned to uh, really neo-paganism, barbarism, uh, absolute decadence and immorality, the likes of seen, the likes we haven't seen you know, since the flood of Noah, since Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, you know, worse than ancient Rome, in my opinion. And uh, certainly this, this book is not for children, although in today's day and age, there may be children that have to hear this uh, because they might have fallen into uh, one or more of the vices that St. Peter Damien is going to speak of here. Uh, he is mainly de uh, dealing with what was going on in the clerical ranks during his, his period of history, uh, he was born in the year 1007, died in the year uh, 1072. Uh, he was a cardinal bishop of Ostia, uh, a Benedictine monk, and was proclaimed a doctor of the church. Uh, without going into too much more detail, um, he, the beginning of this book, you will, I will read a letter from Pope St. Leo IX, regarding the the book and um, I didn't I don't have a PDF copy of this so I'm going to just read from it and I'll put a uh, uh, ambiance of a, of a library on you know so you can view that while I'm reading or you know if you just want to hear the audio go to my podcast channel I'll put a link in the description box as well and we must remember that when Our Lady of Fatima appeared to the shepherd children at Fatima in 1917, she did say that most souls go to hell for sins of the flesh. Uh, St. Peter Damien is going to be covering some of the most heinous sins, uh, such as, of course, sodomy, uh, homosexuality, uh, bestiality, and masturbation. So those are some of the main topics. But in addition, in addition to that, would also be having sex outside of marriage, adultery, fornication, all of that. 
um, would be wrapped into these sins of the flesh, uh, of which there's just innumerable crimes that are committed each moment, each day in the entire world. It's it's a miracle that the world hasn't even been completely consumed by fire, but it looks like we're getting close to that point. So uh, with that, let's go to the actual book. And before before that, let's appeal to Our Lady, Immaculately Conceived, Ever-Virgin Mary, and we'll pray, O Mary, conceived without sin, pray for us who have recourse to thee. O Mary, conceived without sin, pray for us who have recourse to thee. O Mary, conceived without sin, pray for us who have recourse to thee. The letter of Pope Leo to Peter Damian, following the Book of Gomorrah, confirming it by his apostolic authority. Leo, Bishop, Servant of the Servants of God, to the beloved Son in Christ, Peter the Hermit, the joy of eternal beatitude. O most beloved Son, this little book which you have written in a worthy style, but with even more worthy reasoning, against the four forms of polluted cardinal intercourse, offers clear evidence to commend the effort of your soul to reach, through pious struggle, the splendid nuptial bed of shining chastity. You have subjugated the barbarity of the flesh, and you have thus raised the arm of the spirit against the obscenity of lust. Indeed, accursed is the vice that distances one far from the author of virtue, who, being pure, admits nothing unclean, and no one involved in filthy allurements can share in his fortune. The clerics, however, of whose most foul lives your prudence tearfully but equally rationally disputes, truly and altogether truly do not belong to his line of inheritance, from which they distance themselves by their pursuit of pleasures. If they were to live chastely, they would be recognized not only as the holy temple of the Lord, but even the sanctuary itself, in the snowy whiteness of which is immolated that illustrious Lamb of God by whom the filthy plague of the whole world is cleansed. Undoubtedly such clerics declare, not by the testimony of words, but of deeds, that they are not what they are believed to be. For how may one be a cleric, or named as such, if according to his own judgment he does not fear to be soiled either by his own hands or those of another, fondling his own male parts or those of another, or fornicating with contemptible irrationality, either between the thighs or in the rear. Stirred up by holy rage, you wrote of such clerics according to your judgment. It is appropriate, as you desire, that we intervene with our apostolic authority so that we might dispel scrupulous uncertainty from the reader, and so that it may be known with certitude by all that everything that this little book contains has been pleasing to our judgment, being as opposed to diabolical fire as is water. Therefore, so that the license of foul lust may not spread unpunished, it is necessary that it be answered with a repression appropriate to apostolic severity, and yet that some moderation be applied to its harshness. Behold, in accordance with the dictates of justice, 
All those who are polluted with the filthiness of any of the aforementioned four types are expelled from all the grades of order of the Immaculate Church, both in our own judgment and in that of the sacred canons. We, however, acting more humanely, wish and so order that those who have discharged semen either with their own hands or with others or even have copulated between the thighs or not for long periods of time nor with many people, if they curb this sensuality and atone for their shameful deeds with a worthy repentance, be admitted to those grades of order which they had occupied, but in which they did not remain, while in sin, being entrusted to divine mercy. For all those who have been polluted with either of two kinds of filthiness you were describing, for long periods by themselves or with others, or with many others even for a short time, or, horrible to speak of and to hear, have fallen into corruption involving their rear end, the hope of recovering their order is lost. If anyone dares to condemn or assail or decree of apostolic sanction, he should know that he is in danger of losing his own grade of order. For he who does not attack a vice, but rather, rather coddles it, is justly judged guilty of the death together with those who die by that vice. But, O most beloved Son, I rejoice unspeakably that whatever you have taught with your ability as a preacher, you also teach through the example of your life. For it is better to instruct by deed than by word. You will therefore obtain the palm of victory from God the Father, and you will rejoice in the celestial mansion with the Son of God and of the Virgin, heaped up with as many rewards as were taken by you from the snares of the devil with which you will have been associated and, in a sense, crowned. The Beginning of the Book of Gomorrah by the humble monk Peter Damien Peter, the least servant of monks, to the most blessed Pope Leo, the submission of due honor. As the apostolic see is known from the very mouth of the truth, to be the mother of all the churches, it is proper to have recourse to it as a teacher and in a certain sense as the fount of heavenly wisdom. If some matter of doubt arises anywhere that seems related to the care of souls. Thus, from that one head of ecclesiastical discipline, the light might show forth by which the darkness of ambiguity having been expelled, the whole body of the church will shine with the clear splendor of the truth. Moreover, a certain most abominable and exceedingly disgraceful vice has grown in our region, and unless it is quickly met with a hand of strict chastisement, it is certain that the sword of divine fury is looming to attack, to the destruction of many. Alas, it is shameful to speak of it. It is shameful to relate such a disgusting scandal to sacred ears. But if the doctor fears the virus of the plague, who will apply the catarization. If he is nauseated by those whom he is to cure, who will lead sick souls back to the state of health? The cancer of sodomitic impurity is thus creeping through the clerical order, and indeed is raging like a cruel beast within the sheepfold of Christ with the audacity of such liberty, that for many it would have been much more salutary to be oppressed by the yoke of worldly duties than to be surrendered so freely 
to the iron rule of diabolical tyranny under the pretense of religion. It would have been better to perish alone in secular dress than, having changed one's clothes but not one's heart, to also drag others to destruction, as the truth testifies, saying, quote, He that shall scandalize one of these little ones that believe in me, it is expedient for him that a millstone be hanged about his neck, and that he be drowned in the depth of the sea. End quote. From the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18, verse 6. And unless the force of the apostolic sea opposes it as quickly as possible, there is no doubt that when it finally wishes for the unbridled evil to be restrained, it may not be able to halt the fury of its advance. Chapter 2. On the Different Types of Sodomites So that the whole matter might be presented to you in an orderly way, I distinguish four types of this nefarious sin. Some pollute themselves. Others are soiled by fondling each other's male parts. Others fornicate between the thighs or in their ear. And these ascend by grades, such that each one is worse than the previous. Accordingly, the penance that is imposed on those who fall into sin with others is greater than those who dirty themselves alone by the discharged contagion of semen. And those who contaminate others in the rear are more strictly judged than those who copulate between the thighs. The skilled machination of the devil thus contrives these grades of corruption, so that the more it ascends them, the more deeply the unhappy soul may be plunged into the depths of hell. Chapter 3 that excessive mercy leads superiors not to prohibit the fallen from holy orders. It is true that those who are guilty of this perdition often recover by the gift of divine mercy, arrive at satisfaction, and undertake the burden of penance, however heavy it may be, with devotion. However, they recoil in horror from the loss of ecclesiastical order. For certain prelates of churches, who are perhaps more merciful regarding this vice than is expedient, decree absolutely that no one may be deposed as a result of those three grades of sin which were enumerated above. They only allow those to be removed who are known to have copulated in the rear. That is, if one ejaculates semen by his own genital pressure, if he pollutes another by rubbing with his own hands, if he even lies between the thighs in the manner of those of the opposite sex, but he merely hasn't entered in the rear, he must receive a penance commensurate to the, often, to the offense, but must not be removed from his order. So it is that he who is known to have fallen into this evil with eight or even ten others who are equally filthy, nonetheless should be considered to remain in his order. Such impious piety, without a doubt, does not reduce the wound, but administers a stimulus for its enlargement. It does not supply the bitterness of the illicit audacity that is perpetrated, but rather grants the liberty of perpetrating it. Obviously, the carnal man of any order fears more to be despised in the sight of men than to be condemned according to the determination of the supreme judge. And for this reason, he would prefer any penance, however severe and extended it might be, 
to being subject to the endangerment of his grade. Moreover, while he does not fear losing his honorable state by his indiscreet discretion, he is also inclined to take up new vices and to remain longer in those he has taken up with impunity, so that, so to speak, as long as he is not struck where it hurts more severely, he lies serenely in that pigsty of filthy obscenity in which he first fell. Chapter 4. That those who are habituated to filthy enjoyments should not be promoted to holy orders, nor should they so remain if they have already been promoted. It seems to us exceedingly absurd that those who are habitually corrupted by this festering contagion should dare to be promoted to a grade of order or to continue in the grade to which they were already promoted. It is proven to be both contrary to reason and adverse to the canonical sanctions of the fathers. However, I do not assert this in order to offer a definitive sentence in the presence of your majesty, but rather that I might explain the choice of a particular opinion. Certainly, this disgrace is not unworthily believed to be the worst of all offenses, since tradition holds that the omnipotent God has always regarded it as hateful, and when he had not yet placed a legal precept prohibiting it along with the other vices, he was already condemning it with a censure of strict retribution, not to mention that he destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, which were two distinguished cities and all the neighboring regions with sulfur and fire sent from heaven. He struck Onan, the son of Jude, with an untimely death because of this nefarious offense, according to the scripture, which says, quote, Onan, knowing that the children should not be his, when he went in to his brother's wife, he spilled his seed upon the ground, lest children should be born in his brother's name. And therefore the Lord slew him, because he did a detestable thing, End quote. Moreover, in the law it is said, quote, he that lieth with a man as if he should company with women. Both have committed abomination. Dying let them die, their blood be upon them. End quote. That those who have fallen into that crime must not be promoted to ecclesiastical order, because the old law decrees that it is to be punished with death, is attested by the blessed Pope Gregory, who in his letters writes to the bishop Pacifus uh, stating, Quote, Your fraternity well knows how long Aprutium has been destitute of pastoral care. We have long sought after the one who should be ordained there and could not at all find him. However, because Importunus is exceedingly praised to me in his morals, his zeal of psalmody, and his love of prayer, and he is said to live the religious life, we desire that your fraternity bring him to yourself and that you admonish his soul so that it might grow in zeal for the good. And if no sins are found in him, which by the rule of sacred law are penalized by death, then he is to be ordained, so that he be made either a monk or a subdeacon for you. And after some length of time, if it pleases God, he should be promoted to pastoral care. End quote. Behold, here it is clearly implied that any man who engages with another man in feminine copulation, that is, between the thighs, indeed which sin, as we taught above, is by the sentence of the ancient law penalized with death, 
even if he abounds in upright morals, is fervent with the zeal of psalmody, is outstanding in the love of prayer, and leads an entirely religious life according to the testimony of proven reputation, can indeed fully receive the pardon of his guilt, but to ecclesiastical order he cannot at all be permitted to aspire. For regarding that venerable man, Importunus, who at first is exalted with such fervor of praise, is redeemed by so many ornaments of religious and upright life, and is decorated with so much virtue of preaching, it is nevertheless added, quote, If they find no sins in him, which by the rule of sacred law are penalized by death, then he is to be ordained, end quote. It is certainly obvious that no subsequent religious life can restore man for the reception of an ecclesiastical grade of order if he has been debased by a crime worthy of death. Nor does it enable him who is not doubted to have fallen into the pit of mortal sin to rise to attain the height of honor. Therefore, it is clearer than light that it is altogether against the norm of sacred law, altogether against the standard of divine authority, to promote anyone to ecclesiastical order who has been convicted of having lain between masculine thighs and fornication, which is undoubtedly a mortal sin. Chapter 5 Whether it is legitimate for such people to act as priests if the church has need of it. However, it might be said that the need is pressing that no one who is available to carry out sacred duties in the church, and appropriately the sentence which previously was pronounced by the dictate of stern justice, is softened out of present necessity. To this I briefly respond. Was there not also a necessity when the pontifical see was lacking a pastor? Will judgment be suspended because of the usefulness of one man, while the same judgment is firmly maintained, to the abandonment of an entire people? And will that which is not relaxed for the advancement of an innumerable multitude be violated for the convenience of a single person? But now, let the outstanding preacher step forward and let what he believes about this vice be more clearly known. For he states in the letter to the Ephesians, quote, For understanding know you this, that no fornicator or unclean or covetous person, which is the service of idols, hath inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. End quote. If, therefore, those who are unclean do not have any sort of inheritance in heaven, by what presumption, by what reckless contempt might they, even more, obtain authority in the church, which is nothing less than the kingdom of God? Will not he who has disregarded the divine law by falling into wickedness also be unafraid of contemptuously ascending to an office of ecclesiastical dignity? He will spare himself nothing, because he is unafraid of disregarding God in every way. But surely this law was especially created for those who violate it, according to Paul, who, writing to Timothy, says, quote, The law is not made to the just man, but to the unjust, to the impious and sinners, to the wicked and contaminate, to killers of fathers and killers of mothers, to murderers, to fornicators, to liars with mankind, to man-stealers, 
to liars, to perjured persons, and when other things soever is contrary to sound doctrine. End quote. Therefore, given that the law, as has been demonstrated, should be imposed on those who lie with males, so that they will not dare to violate the sacred orders, by whom, I ask, will this law be upheld, if it is despised principally by those for whom it was created? And if, perchance, a person is said to be useful, it is right that the more skillfully he excels in intellectual endeavors, the more he should cautiously uphold the rule of authentic law. For whoever has better understanding is guilty of worse sin, because he who in his wisdom was able to avoid sin, if he had so wished, will inevitably merit punishment. For, as James says, quote, To one knowing good and not doing it, to him it is sin. End quote. And the truth says, quote, To whom more is entrusted, more from him should be required. End quote. For if the order of ecclesiastical discipline is confused by educated men, it will be a wonder if it is upheld by the ignorant. For if one who is knowledgeable is inordinately led to holy orders, he is seen in a sense to pave the way of error, which he has undertaken to walk with a swollen foot of arrogance. For those who follow and, so to speak, are simpler. And he is not only to be judged for having sinned, but also because by the example of his own presumption, he has invited others to imitate his sin. Chapter 6 That those who desire ordination, after having been involved in this vice, are of a reprobate sense. For who would pass by with a deaf ear, indeed? Who would not shudder to the bone at the fact that the same Paul, like a trumpet, cries out vehemently with regard to such men, stating, quote, God gave them up to the desires of their heart, unto uncleanness, to dishonor their own bodies among themselves. End quote. And a little later he writes, quote, For this cause God delivered them up to shameful affections. For their women have changed the natural use into that use which is against nature. And in like manner, the men also, leaving the natural use of the women, have burned in their lusts one towards another, men with men, working that which is filthy, and receiving in themselves the recompense which was due to their error. And as they liked not to have God in their knowledge, God delivered them up to a reprobate sense, to do those things which are not convenient. End quote. For how is it that after such a grave lapse they seek so earnestly after the sublimity of ecclesiastical order? What should one suppose? What should one believe? if not that God has turned them over to a reprobate sense. Nor does he allow them to see, while under the influence of their sins, the things that are necessary for them. For because the sun has set for them, he that is who ascends upon the west, they have lost their inner eyes, and they do not even manage to consider how serious the evils are that they have perpetrated by their impurity, 
nor still how much worse it is that they desire inordinately to possess a grade of order against the will of God. In accordance with divine justice, those who soil themselves with this ruinous filth, having been struck with a fitting chastisement, always incur the darkness of blindness. Thus we read of those ancient originators of this foulness, when they had, quote, pressed very violently upon the just lot, and were even at the point of breaking open the doors, end quote. And behold, says scriptures, the men put out their hand and drew in lot unto them and shut the door. And them that were without, they struck with blindness from the least to the greatest, so that they could not find the door. End quote. It is certain, however, that the persons of the Father and of the Son are not inappropriately represented by those two angels who, we read, have come to the blessed Lot. This is made evident by what Lot himself says to them, quote, I beseech thee, my Lord, because thy servant hath found grace before thee, and thou hast magnified thy mercy, which thou hast shown to me in saving my life. End quote. For when one addresses two singularly as if they were one, it is certain that he is venerating one substance in two persons. The Sodomites, therefore, seek to violently burst in upon the angels when impure men seek to approach God through holy orders. However, they are certainly struck by blindness because they fall into interior darkness by the just judgment of God, and thus they cannot even find the door. Being separated from God by sin, they do not know the way back to it. For it is surely obvious that those who seek to approach God by the path not of humility, but of arrogance and vanity, do not discern where the way of entrance lies open, or that the door is Christ, as he himself said, I am the door. Those who lose Christ under the influence of sin fail to find the door through which they might enter the habitation of the heavenly citizens. Therefore, they have been turned over to a reprobate sense, because as long as they do not measure the weight of their guilt in their own mind with careful consideration, they regard that most heavy load of lead as lightness of empty punishment. The statement, quote, he struck those who are outside with blindness, end quote, the apostle manifestly declares when he says, quote, God delivered them up to a reprobate sense, end quote. And what is added? Quote, so they would not be able to find the door. End quote. He also clearly explains when he says, to do those things which are not convenient. As if he were to say, so that they would try to enter where they should not. For he who is unworthy of holy orders is attempting to force his way into the service of the holy altar. What is he doing if not striving to enter through the immovable obstacle of a wall, having abandoned the threshold of the door? Because free entrance is not acceptable by foot, such people, while they assure themselves that they may attain to the sanctuary, are frustrated in their presumption and are forced to remain in the exterior vestibule. They may strike their foreheads against the stones of sacred scripture, 
but they by no means are permitted to enter by the entranceway of divine authority. And when they try to enter where they are not permitted, they do nothing more than vainly grope the reinforced wall. To them, the statement of the prophet is appropriately applied. Quote, they shall grope at noonday as in the night. End quote. And those who are unable to cross the threshold of the proper entrance wander madly, whirling in a circle, of whom it is said by the psalmist, O my God, make them like a wheel. And likewise, the impious walk round about. Regarding the same Paul also, when he is speaking of the matters recounted above, a little later adds, They who do such things are worthy of death, and not only they that do them, but they also that consent to them that do them. It is clear that if the thunder of apostolic invective does not awaken one to something so terrible, he should certainly be judged not as sleeping, but as dead. And given that the apostle so zealously augments a sentence of strict chastisement, not for Jews no matter how faithful, but for Gentiles and those who do not know God, what, I ask, would he have said if he were to have seen this lethal wound festering in the very body of the Holy Church? In particular, what grief, what fire of compassion would have inflamed that pious heart if he were to have learned of this destructive plague festering even in sacred orders? May idle prelates of clerics and priests hear. May they hear, and although they might be secure from personal guilt, may they fear themselves to be participants in the guilt of others. Undoubtedly, those who turn a blind eye to the sins of their subjects that they are obligated to correct also grant to their subjects a license to sin through their ill-considered silence. May they hear, I say, and wisely understand that all are unfortunate are uniformly worthy of death, indeed. Not only they that do them, but they also who consent to them that do them. Chapter 7. Unrectors the church who are soiled with their spiritual children. O unheard of crime, O offense to be mourned with a whole fountain of tears. If they who consent to those who do these things are to be struck with death, what can be conceived of as a worthy punishment for those who commit these evils, which are punishable by eternal damnation with their spiritual children. What fruit can be found in the flocks when the pastor is so profoundly submerged in the belly of the devil? Who might now remain under his rule who is not ignorant of his so hostile estrangement from God? Who makes a male prostitute out of his penitent? a woman out of a man, who subjugates as a slave him whom he spiritually generated as a son by God through the iron rule of diabolical tyranny by the impurity of his flesh. If a man violates a woman whom he lifted from the sacred fountain, is he not, without any obstacle of delay, judged to be deprived of communion and ordered by the censure of the sacred canons to suffer public penance? For it is written that spiritual parenthood is greater than carnal parenthood. But he who receives one coming from the world into clerical orders has generated a spiritual child from God in almost the same way as he who might have baptized or received one raised from the baptismal font. Indeed, 
The institution of canonical orders is a renunciation and is, in a certain sense, a second baptism. It follows, therefore, both he who has ruined his carnal daughter and he who has corrupted his spiritual daughter with sacrilegious intercourse should suffer the same sentence, as well as he who pollutes with abominable wantonness a cleric whom he ordained, unless perhaps in this is the nature of the two crimes distinguished. That the first has sinned, although incestuously, yet naturally, because it was with a woman, while he who defiles a cleric has committed a sacrilege with his son, incurring the guilt of incest and dissolving the laws of nature. And, as it seems to me, it is more tolerable to have fallen into the disgrace of lust with an animal than with a man. Indeed, how much more lightly is he judged who perishes alone than he who drags another to the ruin of destruction? How miserable is the condition in which the ruin of one depends on another, and when one is destroyed, another follows necessarily to his death. Chapter 8 Of Those Who Confess Their Offenses to Those With Whom They Have Fallen So that the deceits of diabolical machination may not lie hidden, but rather that I might expose to the light those things that the devil secretly constructs with his secretaries in the workshop of ancient evil. I will not suffer it to be concealed that certain individuals, satiated by the position of this crime, when, as it were, they return to the heart, confess the sin to one another, so that the crime may not be exposed to the notice of others. Although as authors of the crime they cause the faces of men to blush, they themselves become judges, and each one rejoices to extend to the other an indiscreet pardon, which he seeks to apply to himself by vicarious exchange. So it is that they might be penitents of great sins, and yet their mouths are not pallid by reason of fasting, nor their bodies wasted by leanness. And while their stomach is in no way restrained from the immoderate reception of food, the soul is shamefully inflamed in the fire of habitual lust, so that he who has not yet wept for his crimes commits even more lamentable acts. It is a precept of law that when anyone is covered with leprosy, he must be shown to the priests. However, when one filthy man confesses to another the common evil that he has been committed, the leper is not shown to the priests, but rather to another leper. As a confession certainly should be a revelation, what, I ask, does he reveal, who narrates what is already known to his listener? Indeed, how is it that confession to be made whereby nothing is revealed by the one who confesses except what is already known by the listener? Moreover, by what law, by what right can the one who is restrained by the social bond of an evil committed bind and loose that of others? For in vain does he who is also bound by chains attempt to free another. And for him who wishes to lead a blind man on a journey, it is necessary that he should see, that he may not cause the one who follows him to fall, as it is said by the voice of truth when he says, If the blind leads the blind, both fall into the pit. And again, seest that thou the mote in thy brother's eyes, but the beam that is in thy own eye thou considerest not. 
Hypocrite, cast first the beam out of thy own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to take out the mote from thy brother's eye. It is most openly declared by these evangelical testimonies that he who is oppressed by the darkness of the same guilt in vain seeks to restore another to the light of contrition. And if he does not fear to lead another by straying beyond his powers, he does not evade the gaping pit of ruin together with him who follows. Chapter 9 Just as is the case with those who violate nuns, a prostitutor of monks must be deposed in accordance with law. I now address you face to face, whoever you are, O Sodomite. Do you refuse to confess your sins to spiritual men because you also fear to lose your ecclesiastical rank? But how much more salutary would it be to endure temporal shame in the sight of men than to suffer eternal punishment before the tribunal of the heavenly judge? Perhaps you might reply to me, that if a man lies with a man only between the thighs, he is certainly in need of penance. But in accordance with merciful kindness, he should not be permanently prohibited from his grade of order. I ask you, if a monk makes an attempt upon a nun, is he to remain in holy orders according to your judgment? But there is no doubt that you would judge that such a man should be deposed. It therefore follows that what you reasonably assert regarding a nun, you should inevitably admit of the monk. And what you would assert regarding monks, it is necessary for you to apply to clerics. But, as was stated previously, with this difference, that the latter is to be considered worse, insofar as by the identity of the sexes it is judged to be contrary to nature. Moreover, It is right to always consider the will of the offender when judging excesses. And he who pollutes masculine thighs, if nature were to permit, would carry out completely with men whatever is done with women in the insanity of unrestrained lust. He has done what he could up to the point where nature has denied him. And he has there unwillingly fixed the boundary of his offense where the necessity of nature has placed the impassable limit of ability. Therefore, because the same law is applicable to monks of either sex, it is necessary to conclude that just as the violator of a nun is deposed by law, so also he who prostitutes a monk should be removed in all ways from his office. Chapter 10 that both he who falls with his carnal or spiritual daughter and he who is soiled with his penitential son should be accountable for the same offense. So to respond again to the disputations of the quote-unquote sacred, that is, detestable, confessors, if any canonical priest falls with a woman to whom he has declared the verdict of penance even once, No one denies that he should be degraded by the censure of the Synodal Council. If, however, he falls with a priest or a cleric of almost equal rank for whom he is either a judge in giving penance or has been judged in receiving it, will he not lose the honor of his order in accordance with the dictates of justice? 
for it is customary to call him a quote-unquote penitential son, just as we say baptismal son. Thus it is read of blessed Mark the Evangelist that he is the son of Peter in baptism. And it is the eminent preacher who says, quote, For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to evangelize. End quote. And also says, For what is my glory before the Lord? Is it not you? For in Christ Jesus, by the gospel, I have begotten you. And to the Galatians he says, My little children, of whom I am in labor again, until Christ be formed in you. If then he bore, if he gave birth, he who was not sent to baptize, but to evangelize, and so to urge repentance, it is rightly said that he who receives penance is a son, and that he who imposes it is a father. Now, if the above-mentioned facts are carefully considered, it will be clearer than light that he who fornicates with either a carnal or a baptismal daughter is guilty of the same crime. And he also who acts indecently with a, with a penitential son. And just as for him who has sinned with a female whom he generated carnally, or whom he birthed in baptism, or upon whom he imposed the judgment of penance, so also for him who sins with a penitential son through lust, it is just, it is just that he be removed in every way from the order of which he is a minister." Chapter 11, regarding apocryphal laws, in which whoever trusts is altogether deceived. But because certain lullabies are found mixed with the sacred canons, in which corrupt men place their confidence with vain presumption, we examine some here so that we may clearly demonstrate that not only they, but all other writings similar to them, wherever they might be found, are altogether apocryphal. For it is said, among other things, quote, A priest who has not taken the vow of a monk, who sins with a girl or a harlot, must do penance for two years, and for three lengths, on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and Saturday, always with dry food. If it is with a female servant of God, or with a man, a fast is added of five years, if it is habitual. Similarly, deacons, if they are not monks, as well as monks that are not in holy orders, must do penance for two years. A little later, the following is inserted. Quote, if a cleric who has not taken monastic vows commits an act of fornication, he must do penance for half a year. If he has done so frequently, he must do a whole year of penance. If he is a canon, likewise, if frequently, two years. End quote. Likewise, if one sins in the manner of the sodomites, some dictate ten years of penance. He who does so habitually must be punished more. If he holds a grade of order, he must be degraded and do penance as a layman. A man who fornicates between the thighs must do one year of penance. If he repeats the offense, he must do penance for two years. If he fornicates in the rear, he must do three years of penance. If he is a child, he must do two years of penance. If he fornicates with a sheep or a mule, he must do ten years of penance. Likewise, 
A bishop who sins with quadrupeds must do ten years of penance and lose his grade of order. A priest, five years. A deacon, three. A cleric, two. And many other erroneous and sacrilegious machinations of the devil are found inserted into the sacred canons, which to us would be more pleasing to obliterate than to read. Better to spit than to write such vain foolishness on paper. Behold, sodomites trust in these inanities. They give faith to them as to a portent from dreams and delude themselves with the, insur- with the assurance of a vain hope. But let us see if these agree with canonical authority, so that, whether they should be affirmed or rejected, they should be made known not so much by the testimony of words as by the testimony of facts. Chapter 12 The Justifiable Rejection of the Above Laws Therefore, to return to the beginning of this deceptive law code, it is said that a priest who has not taken monastic vows and who sins with a girl or with a harlot must do two years of penance. And who is so stupid? Who is so insane? To believe that a penance of two years for a priest caught in fornication is appropriate. For whether one has only a minimal acquaintance with the canonical authority or the greatest knowledge, he would freely acknowledge that if a priest falls into fornication, a penance of at least ten years should be decreed, not to mention stricter punishments. However, this penance of two years for fornication is not only not considered to be applicable to priests, but not even to the laity who, fleeing from this ruin to satisfaction, are given a sentence of three years. Then the following is added, quote, If one sins with a female servant of God, or with a male, with the understanding that a priest is meant, a fast is added, that is, of five years, if it is habitual, end quote. Likewise, deacons, if they are not monks, must do penance for two years, as also must monks who do not hold a grade of order. I eagerly gaze upon one thing in the section of this nonsensical decree upon which I am expounding, gladly turning my attention to it, because it is clearly stated, quote, If with a female servant of God or with a male, end quote. Behold, O good man Sodomite, in your own texts, which you so especially love, which you eagerly embrace, which you put forth as a shield of defense for yourself, you openly acknowledge that there is no difference if one sins with a female servant of God or with a male. However, for an equal sin, there is the determination of an equal sentence. Now there is no basis for your disagreement with me, no way for you to rightly dissent from my arguments. Who is so out of his mind who so profoundly incurs the darkness of blindness that he would impose a penance of five years on a priest for sinning with a female servant of God, that is, a nun, or a penance of two years on a deacon or a monk? Is this not an insidious trap for the lost? Is this not a snare for straying souls? But who would be able to overrule what is stated that a cleric who fornicates with a girl if he hasn't taken monastic vows, must do half a year of penance. Who is so knowledgeable in sacred scripture? Who stands out with such an abundance of expertise and dialectic subtlety that he might presume to condemn such a law by the law itself? A blameworthy precedent 
who author whose authority is laudably detested. Whereas three years are given to the layman, for the cleric a half year of penance is prescribed. Blessed are the clerics who fornicate, if they are to be judged by the standards of sodomites. Indeed, the same measure which they mete out to others they wish to grant to themselves. This author of error, who extends the dogma of his perversity to the clerical order, while he strives to ruin monks, is quite desirous of gaining souls for the devil. And because the death of monks alone cannot satisfy the gluttonous stomach of his malice, he desires to satisfy himself with the homicide of another class of souls. Let us then see what follows. If one sins like the sodomites, certain authorities dictate ten years of penance. He who does so habitually must be punished more. If he holds a grade of order, he is to be degraded and do penance as a layman. If a man fornicates between the thighs, he must do penance for one year. If he does so again, he must do penance for two years. If, however, he fornicates in the rear, he must do three years of penance. And given that sinning like a sodomite, as you yourselves adduce, must be nothing other than to fornicate in the rear. Why is it that your canons in just one sentence are so various and multifarious that they burden those who sin as sodomites with ten years of penance? But then for those who fornicate in the rear, which is the same thing, they can find the laments of penance within the space of three years. Are these things not rightly compared to monsters, not produced by nature, but composed by human industry, certain ones of which begin with equine heads and end with the hooves of goats? So, to which canons, to which decrees of the fathers do these laughable things correspond, which class with each other with such dissonant faces, as if they had horns on their heads? If they overthrow themselves, on what authorities can they rely? Every kingdom divided against itself shall be brought to desolation, and house upon house shall fall. And if Satan be divided against himself, how shall his doctrine stand? For first, they seem to apply a strict punishment, then to exhibit a cruel mercy. And like a chimerical monster, here a menacing species of lion roars, and there a vile she-goat humbly blesses. And by this diversity of various appearances, they provoke laughter, rather than inspiring penitential lamentation. Those that follow are similarly erroneous. He who fornicates with sheep or a mule must do ten years of penance. And likewise, a bishop who sins with quadrupeds must do ten years of penance and lose his grade of order. A priest, five. A deacon, three. A cleric, two. As the previous sentence absolutely states that whoever fornicates with a sheep or a mule will be sentenced to ten years of satisfaction, how is it consistent to add that a priest of five years, a deacon three years, and a cleric two years of penance should be applied for sexual relations with livestock? So anyone, that is, any person, even if he is a layman, is punished with suffering for a period of ten years, and then five years is imposed on a priest, that is, half of the penance is eliminated. I ask, to what pages of sacred eloquence coincide these tireless frivolities, which so evidently conflict with themselves? Who does not consider, who does not clearly see, 
that these and similar ones that are fraudulently mixed with these sacred canons are diabolical inventions and have been created for deceiving the minds of the simple by clever machination. For like honey or any tastier food, the poison is fraudulently admitted so that while the sweetness of the food provokes one to eat, the poison, which lies hidden, enters more easily into the entrails. Thus, these deceitful and erroneous inventions are inserted into the sacred canon, into the sacred texts, so as to escape the suspicion of fraud, and they are smeared, as it were, with a certain kind of honey, appearing flavored with the sweetness of a false piety. Avoid these things, whoever you might be, lest the song of the sirens charm you with fatal sweetness, lest it plunge the ship of your soul in the chasm of Aschila. The ocean of the holy councils should not perchance terrify you with its manifest austerity, and the shallow sandbanks of the apocryphal canons should not attract you with the promised gentleness of the turbulence. For often a ship that is fleeing the violent waves suffers a shipwreck as it approaches the sandy shore, and often when it cleaves to the high sea, it escapes unscathed without the loss of a burden. Chapter 13 That such mockeries are rightly excluded from the list of canons, because their authorship is uncertain. Who fabricated these canons? Who has presumed to plant such spiny, such prickly thorn bushes in the purple grove of the church? It is exceedingly clear that all the authentic canons are either formulated in venerable synodal councils or are promulgated by the Holy Fathers who are pontiffs of the Apostolic See. And it is not licit for just anyone to eliminate canons, but rather this privilege is enjoyed only by those who are chosen to preside in the See of the Blessed Peter. However, these spurious shoots of canons of which we speak are both known to be excluded from the sacred councils and proven to be altogether alien to the decrees of the fathers. It therefore follows that those that appear not to have been issued by decrees of the fathers nor by sacred councils are by no means to be accepted among the canons. For whatever is not numbered among the species is, without a doubt, determined to be alien to the genus. If the name of the author is sought, it cannot be identified with certainty because it is not uniformly indicated in various books. For in one, it is attributed to Theodore, in another, to the Roman penitential, in another, to the canons of the apostles. They are titled one way here, another way there, and when they do not have the merit of a single author, they undoubtedly lose all authority. For those which waver between so many uncertain authorities confirm nothing with certain authority. And it is necessary that those things that produce the darkness of uncertainty for readers may recede far from all doubt by the light of the sacred scriptures. Now, with these theatrical absurdities in which the sodomites have trusted, eliminated from the list of the canons, and convicted by the clear reasoning of arguments, let us set out those canons of whose trustworthiness and authority we have no doubt. Indeed, they are found in the Council of Enchira. Chapter 14. Of those who fornicate irrationally, that is, who mix with animals or are polluted with mouse. Regarding those who live irrationally or continue to do so, those who have committed such a crime before age 20 
may be admitted to the communion of prayer after having done 15 years of penance. Then, after five years in this communion, they may finally receive the sacraments of, of offering. However, their lives during the period of penance should be investigated before they obtain mercy. For if they insatiably adhere to these offenses, they should spend more time doing penance. Those who have reached the age of 20 years and are married and fall into this sin must do 25 years of penance and are then received in the communion of prayer. After remaining in this state for five years, they may finally receive the sacraments of offering. But those who thus sin, who have wives and have passed 50 years of age, should receive the grace of communion at the end of their lives. Behold, in the same inscription of this venerable authority, we clearly see that not only those who fornicate in the rear, but also those who in any way are polluted with men, are compared in every respect with those who lie with animals. If we consider the interspersed words, we perceive that they have been placed there carefully and with very judicious discernment, as it is stated, quote, those who mix with animals or are polluted with mouths, end quote. For if with this phrase, those who are polluted with mouths, it had intended to indicate those who fornicate in the rear, it would not have been at all necessary for it to add two words when only with, quote-unquote, mix, it could have expressed its intention. It would have sufficed, indeed, for brevity of style if the whole sentence had been composed with one verb, saying, quote, those who mix with animals or males, end quote. For those who adulterate themselves in one sense are those who violate animals, and, in another sense, are those who violate males in the rear. But, as it says that some mix with animals, others not quote-unquote mix, but are polluted with males. It is, clear, it is surely clear that at the end of the phrase, it passes judgment not on corruptors of males, but on quote-unquote polluters. However, it should be noted that this regulation was principally instituted with regard to the laity, which is easily deduced from the words that follow, quote, those who have committed such a crime before the age of 20 may be admitted to the communion of prayer after having done 15 years of penance. Then, after five years in this communion, they may finally receive the sacraments of offering. End quote. If, therefore, any layman guilty of this crime is admitted to the communion of prayer after doing 25 years of penance, but is not yet permitted to receive the sacraments of offering, how is it considered appropriate for a priest not only to receive, but also to offer and to consecrate the sacred mysteries? If he is barely permitted to enter the church to pray with others, how is it that he can approach the altar of the Lord to intercede for others? If he does not have the right to hear the holy solemnities of masses before completing such a long period of penance, how is he worthy to solemnly celebrate them? If the former who sin less inasmuch as he walks the broad road of the world, is unworthy of receiving in his mouth the heavenly offering of the Eucharist, how will the latter be worthy to handle such a terrible mystery with polluted hands? Let us consult again the same council of Ancyra and what it ordained for the same crime. 
Chapter 15. Of those who were once polluted, either with animals or with mouths, or who continue to languish in this vice. Quote, Those who have lived irrationally and have polluted others with the leprosy of this grave offense are ordered by the Holy Synod to worship with those who are vexed by an impure spirit. End quote. As it plainly does not say those who quote-unquote corrupt others with the leprosy of this grave offense, but rather pollute, which also agrees with the preceding title itself, which begins not with those who have been quote-unquote corrupted, but those who have been polluted. It is certainly clear that if a man in any way has been polluted with another man through the ardor of lust, he is ordered to pray not among Catholic Christians, but among the demonically possessed For if sodomites are unable on their own to understand what they are, they might in any case be taught by those with whom they are consigned to the common penitentiary of prayer. And it certainly is proper enough that those who trade their flesh to demons through such foul commerce against the law of nature, against the order of human reason, should receive a common place of prayer with the demonically possessed. For as human nature itself deeply resists these evils, and the lack of sexual difference is abhorrent, it is clearer than light that they never would have dared to engage in such perversities unless evil spirits had fully possessed them as, quote, vessels of wrath fitted for destruction, end quote. But when they begin to possess them, they pour in the infernal poison of their malignity throughout the invaded heart that they fill, so that they might now eagerly desire not those things that a natural movement of the body demands, but that which only diabolical haste supplies. For when a man thrusts himself upon another man to commit impure acts, it is not from a natural carnal drive, but only the stimulus of diabolical impulse. Thus the Holy Fathers, in their vigilance, sentence sodomites to pray together with those who are demonically possessed, those whom they did not doubt of having been invaded by the same diabolic spirit. Therefore, how can a mediator stand between God and the people in the dignity of the priestly office, who, separated from the congregation of the whole people, is ordered to only pray among demoniacs? But now that we have undertaken to apply two testimonies from one sacred council, let us also introduce what the great Basil thinks about that vice which is currently being addressed so that, quote, in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may stand, end quote. For he says, quote, A cleric or monk who persecutes adolescents or children, or who is caught in a kiss or the occasion of indecency, should be publicly beaten and lose his tonsure. And having been disgracefully shaved, his, faith, his face is to be smeared with spittle, and he is to be bound in iron chains worn down with six months of imprisonment, and three days every week to fast on barley bread until sundown. After this, spending his time separated in his room for another six months in the custody of a spiritual senior, he should be intent upon the work of his hands and on prayer, subject to vigils and prayers, and he should always walk under the guard of two spiritual brothers, never again soliciting sexual intercourse from youth by perverse speech or counsel. End quote. Here the sodomite should zealously consider whether he whom sacred authority judges to be dishonored with such an ignominious, such reproachful indignity, 
is safely able to carry out ecclesiastical duties. Nor should he flatter himself for not having corrupted anyone in the rear, or having, or for not having copulated between the thighs. When it is clearly written that he who is caught only in a kiss or other shameful occasion will be rightly subjected to all of those humiliations of shameful discipline. For if a kiss is struck with a punishment of such severe retribution, what does fornication between the thighs merit? For punishing what crime, for what monstrous offense would it not suffice to be publicly beaten, to lose its tonsure, to be disgracefully shaven, to be smeared with the filth of saliva, to be confined for a great length of time, and furthermore, to be bound in iron chains. And finally, it is prescribed that he is to be fed on barley bread, because he who has become like a horse and a mule is not properly refreshed with the food of men, but is fed with the grain of mules. Moreover, if we fail to consider the weight of this sin, it is nonetheless clearly declared in the very judgment of penance which is imposed. For whoever is forced by canonical censure to submit to public penance is surely judged to be unworthy of ecclesiastical duties by the clear sentence of the fathers. Thus, the blessed Pope Syracuse, among other things, wrote, quote, It was also appropriate for us to provide that as it is not permitted to any of the clerics to do penance, thus also for penance and reconciliation, it must not be permitted to any layman, whomsoever, to attain to the honor of the clerical office. For although they may be cleansed of all sin, those who were previously vessels of vices must not take up any of the instruments for conducting the sacraments. End quote. Given, therefore, that Basil would instruct him who was guilty of this sin to undertake not only rigorous but also public penance, while Syracuse prohibits the clerical orders from penance, it is obvious that he who has been polluted with the filthy baseness of lustful impurity with a male does not deserve to carry out ecclesiastical duties, nor is it fitting for those to handle the divine mystery, who, so to speak, were previously vessels of vices. Chapter 17 The Proper Condemnation of Sodomitic Indecency Certainly, this vice, which surpasses the savagery of all other vices, is to be compared to no other. For this vice is the death of bodies, the destruction of souls, pollutes the flesh, extinguishes the light of the intellect, expels the Holy Spirit from the temple of the human heart, introduces the diabolical inciter of lust, throws into confusion, and removes the truth completely from the deceived mind. It prepares snares for the one who walks, and for him who falls into the pit, it obstructs the escape. It opens up hell and closes the door of paradise. It makes the citizens of the heavenly Jerusalem into an heir of the Babylonian underworld. From the star of heaven, it produces the kindling of eternal fire. It cuts off a member of the church and casts him into the voracious conflagration of raging Gehenna. This vice seeks to topple the walls of the heavenly homeland and busies itself with repairing the old walls of scorched Sodom. For it is this which violates sobriety, kills modesty, slays chastity. It butchers virginity with the sword of a most filthy contagion. It befouls everything, it stains everything, it pollutes everything, and for itself it permits nothing pure, 
nothing foreign to filth, nothing clean. For all things, as the Apostle states, are clean to the clean, but to them that are defiled and to unbelievers, nothing is clean. This vice eliminates men from the choir of ecclesiastical assembly and compels them to pray with those who are possessed and oppressed by the devil. It separates the soul from God to unite it with demons. This most pestilent queen of the sodomites renders him who is submissive to the laws of her tyranny indecent to men and hateful to God. In order to sow impious wars against God, she requires a militancy of the most wretched spirit. She separates the unhappy soul from the fellowship of the angels, removing it from its nobility to place it under the yoke of her own dominion. She strips her soldiers of the armaments of the virtues, and to strike them down exposes them to the darts of every vice. In the church she humiliates, and in the forum she condemns. She defiles in secrecy and dishonors in public. She gnaws the conscience like worms, burns the flesh like a fire, and pants with desire for pleasure. But in contrast, she fears to be exposed, to come out in public, to be known by others. For whom should he not fear, who also dreads the participant in, commun- in common ruin with fearful suspicion? Lest the same man who sins with him become judge of the crime by confession, when he might not hesitate not only to confess his sin, but also to name the one with whom he sinned. Just as one could not die by sin without the other dying, so each one offers the other the occasion of rising again when he rises. His flesh burns with the fury of lust. His frigid mind trembles with the rancor of suspicion. And chaos now rages hellishly in the heart of the unhappy man, while he is vexed by as many worries as he is tortured, as it were, by the torments of punishment. Indeed, once this most poisonous snake has sunk its teeth into an unhappy soul, sense is immediately taken away, memory is removed, the sharpness of mind is obscured, it becomes forgetful of God, it forgets even itself. This plague removes the foundation of faith, inevitates the strength of hope, breaks the tie of charity, destroys justice, undermines fortitude, banishes temperance, and blunts the sharpness of prudence. And what more shall I say? Since it indeed it expels every cornerstone of the virtues from the court of the human heart, it also, as if the bolts of the doors have been removed, introduces every barbarity of the vices. To this, indeed, is appropriately applied the declaration of Jeremiah regarding the earthly Jerusalem. The enemy, he says, hath put out his hand to all her desirable things, for she hath seen the Gentiles enter into her sanctuary, of whom thou gavest commandment that they should not enter into thy church. Undoubtedly, whomever this most atrocious beast devours, once with its cruel jaws, it binds from all good works and unleashes in every chasm of the most evil depravity. Whenever anyone falls into this abyss of the most extreme perdition, he is exiled from the heavenly homeland, separated from the body of Christ, confounded by the authority of the whole church, condemned by the judgment of all the holy fathers, despised among men on earth, and rejected from the fellowship of heavenly citizenry. Heaven is made for him like iron and earth, like brass. 
Neither there can, be, can he arise, weighted down by the gravity of his fault, nor here can he hide his evils any longer under the concealment of ignorance. He cannot here rejoice while he lives, nor there hope when he dies, because he is forced now to bear the scorn of human derision and then the torment of eternal damnation. Indeed, that expression of prophetic lamentation is quite fitting for such a soul, which states, quote, Behold, O Lord, for I am in distress. My bowels are troubled. My heart is turned within me, for I am full of bitterness. Abroad the sword destroyeth, and at home there is death alike. Chapter 18. A weeping lamentation over souls surrendered to the dregs of impurity. I myself, O unhappy soul, weep over you, and from the depths of my heart I sigh over your lot of perdition. I weep over you, I say, O miserable soul, given over to the dregs of impurity, you who are to be lamented with a whole fountain of tears for grief. Who will give water to my head and a fountain of tears to my eyes? And this doleful expression, now elicited from me in sobs, is no less suitable than when it was born from the mouth of the prophet. For it is not the stony bulwark of a turreted city, not the overturning buildings of a temple made by hands that I bewail, nor do I lament the columns of common med led captive to the empire of the Babylonian king. I mourn the noble soul, made in the image and likeness of God, and united with the most precious blood of Christ, more glorious than many buildings, certainly to be preferred to all the pinnacles of earthly workmanship. Therefore, I lament the fall of the imminent soul and the destruction of the temple in which Christ had dwelt. May my eyes fail from weeping. May they pour out abundant streams of tears. And may they water sad and mournful expressions with continuous crying. May my eyes spring forth tears with the prophet day and night. And may they not cease because the virgin daughter of my people is afflicted with a great affliction, with a very sore plague exceedingly. Clearly, the daughter of my people has been crushed with the worst of blows, because the soul, which had been the daughter of the Holy Church, has been cruelly injured with the dart of impurity by the enemy of the human race. And she, who was once tenderly and gently nurtured by the milk of sacred eloquence in the palace of the Eternal King, is now seen lying rigid and swollen in the sulfurous embers of Gomorrah, pestilently corrupted by the poison of lust. For they that were fed delicately have died in the streets. They that were brought up in scarlet have embraced the dung. Why? The prophet continues and says that it is because the iniquity of the daughter of my people is made greater than the sin of Sodom, which was overthrown in a moment. Indeed, the evil of the Christian soul surpasses the sin of the Sodomites, because its sin is so much worse insofar as it despises the mandates of evangelical grace, and so that it might not obtain the remedy of self-justifying subterfuge, it is vehemently reprimanded by its own knowledge of the divine law. Alas, alas, unhappy soul, 
Why do you not consider from what great height of dignity you must be cast, of what grace of splendor and glory you must be stripped? How hath the Lord covered with obscurity the daughter of Zion in his wrath? He has cast from heaven the glorious one of Israel. All splendor has gone out from the daughter of Zion. I, having compassion for your calamity, and most bitterly lamenting your disgrace, say, Mine eyes have failed for tears, my bowels are troubled, my liver is poured out on the earth for the destruction of the daughter of my people. And you, failing to consider your evils and taking courage from your crimes, say, I sit a queen, and I am no widow. I proclaim your captivity with pity. Why is Jacob commanded like a home-born slave? And why has Israel become a prey? And you say, I am rich and made wealthy and have need of nothing. And know not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked? Consider, O wretched one, how much the darkness oppresses your soul. Take note how densely the fog of blindness envelops you. Has the fury of lust driven you towards the masculine sex? Has the madness of excess incited you to your own type, that is, man to man? Does a he-goat ever leap upon a he-goat driven by lust? Does a ram jump upon a ram crazed by the ardor of sexual intercourse? A stallion gently and peacefully grazes in a single manger with another stallion, but having seen a mare, he is suddenly wild with the madness of desire. Never does a bull insolently approach another bull in sexual love. Never does a male ass roar with a male ass in copulation. Therefore, degenerate men do not fear to perpetrate an act that even brute animals abhor. That which is done by the temerity of human depravity is condemned by the judgment of irrational cattle. Speak, O emasculated man. Respond, O effeminate man. What do you seek in a man that you are unable to find in yourself? What difference of sexes? What diverse features of members, what softness, what tenderness of cardinal allurement, what pleasantness of a smooth face. The vigor of masculine appearance should frighten you, I entreat you, and your mind should abhor virile limbs. The purpose of the natural appetite is that each one seek externally what he is not able to find within the enclosure of his own means. If, therefore, the handling of masculine flesh delights you, Turn your hands to yourself, and know that whatever you do not find in yourself, you seek in vain in another body. Woe to you, unhappy soul, the destruction of which saddens the angels, and which enemies insult by applause. You have become the prey of demons, the plunder of the cruel, the booty of the impious. All thy enemies have opened their mouth against thee. They have hissed, and gnashed with the teeth, and have said, We will swallow her up. Lo, this is the day which we looked for. We have found it. We have seen it. Chapter 19. That the soul should be mourned, because it does not mourn. Therefore, I weep over you, O miserable soul, with so many lamentations, because I do not see you weeping. Therefore, I lie prostrate on the ground on your behalf, because I see you wickedly upright following such a grave fall, 
even wantonly striving towards the pinnacle of ecclesiastical order. Otherwise, if you had lowered yourself in humility, I, sure of, re- of your restoration, would have exalted in the Lord with all that is in me. If the worthy compunction of a contrite heart had shaken the hidden recesses of your soul, I would have rightly taken delight with a dance of ineffable joy. You are most greatly to, to be wept over because you do not weep. You are in need of the sufferings of others because you do not feel the danger of your ruin. And you are to be wept over all the more by bitter tears of fraternal compassion because you are not troubled by your own sorrowful lamentation. Why do you neglect to consider the weight of your condemnation? Why do you not cease to store up wrath for yourself on the day of judgment by first submerging yourself in the depths of sin and then raising yourself up in arrogance? That curse is coming, is coming upon you, which was cast by the mouth of David against Joab and his house following the spilling of the blood of Abner. The pestilence of Gomorrah, which doomed the house of Joab in retribution of cruel homicide, now lives in the habitation of your body. After Abner is struck down, David says, I and my kingdom are innocent. Forever the blood of Abner, the son of Ner, And may it come upon the head of Joab and upon all his father's house, and let there not fail from the house of Joab one that bears Gomorrah. For which a second translation reads, That hath an issue of seed, and that is a leper holding the distaff, and that falleth by the sword, and that wanteth bread. For he who is befouled by the stain of grave sin is sprinkled with leprosy. To hold a distaff, in fact, is to abandon the manly activity of a masculine life and to exhibit the alluring softness of feminine manners. He who falls by the sword is one who incurs the fury of divine indignation. He who is lacking in bread is restricted from the reception of the body of Christ by the penalty of his particular offense. For this is a living bread that came down from heaven. So if, O unworthy priest, you will be compelled by precept of law to remain outside the encampments after the leprous flow of semen is completed. Why do you still strive to obtain even the preeminence of honor in those same encampments? Is it not true that Ozias the king, when he had haughtily wished to burn incense over the altar of incense, afterwards recognized that he had been struck by heaven with the disease of leprosy, and not only patiently accepted his expulsion from the temple by the priests, but rather himself made haste to quickly leave? Indeed, it is written, And when Azarias the priest looked upon him and all of the remaining priests, they saw the leprosy on his forehead, and they quickly expelled him. And then the following is added, Yea, himself also being frightened, hastened to go out, because he had quickly felt the stroke of the Lord. If the king having been struck with corporeal leprosy, did not despise to be ejected from the temple by the priests, why do you, who are leprous in your soul, not suffer yourselves to be removed from the sacred altars in accordance with the judgment of so many of the Holy Fathers? If he, having lost the authority of royal dignity, did not blush to live in an ordinary house until his death, 
Why are you troubled about descending from the height of the sacerdotal office so that, enclosed in the tomb of penance as if dead, you might strive to join the ranks of the living? And so that we might return to that mystical story of Joab, if you yourself fell by the sword, how will you raise another by priestly grace? If you are deservedly lacking bread, that is, you are separated from Christ in your body, how will you be able to satisfy another with the banquet of the celestial table? If you are struck on your forehead with the leprosy of Ozias, that is, if you are disgraced by the sign of dishonor on your face, how will you be able to wash another clean of a perpetrator defense? May bloated pride blush, therefore, and not vainly seek to be raised above itself, as it weighs well below itself by the burden of its own guilt. May it learn to ponder its evils with subtle consideration. May it learn to contain itself humbly within its own limits, lest it arrogantly usurp that which it cannot obtain in any way, and entirely lose even that for which true humility might have been able to hope. Chapter 20 that the service of an unworthy priest is the ruin of the people. Why, I ask, O damnable sodomites, do you seek after the height of ecclesiastical dignity with such burning ambition? Why do you seek with such longing to snare the people of God in the web of your perdition? Does it not suffice for you that you cast your very selves off the high precipice of villainy unless you also involve others in the danger of your fall? If, perchance, someone comes to urge us to intercede on his behalf with some powerful man who is angry with him, but who is unknown to us, we should immediately respond that we cannot come to intercede, because we do not know him personally. If, therefore, one blushes to intercede with a man of whom he can presume nothing, by what reasoning does a man who does not know himself to be an intimate of the grace of God through a meritorious life, take up the duty of intercession with God on behalf of the people? How does he plead for pardon from God on behalf of others if he doesn't know if God is well disposed to him? Regarding which there is something else to be feared more anxiously, that he who is believed to be able to placate wrath might deserve this same wrath due to his own guilt. For all of us clearly know that when one who is displeasing is sent to intercede, he further provokes the one who is already annoyed. He, therefore, who is still held bound by terrestrial desires, should beware, lest, stoking evermore the ire of the strict judge while he delights in his glorious position, he might become the cause of ruin to his subjects. Each one, therefore, should take wise measure of himself, lest he dare to act as a priest while vice continues to reign damnably within him, lest he, depraved by his own offense, seek to become an intercessor for the sins of others. Forbear, therefore, forbear, and beware of indistinguishably inflaming the fury of God against you, lest by your prayers you more sharply provoke him whom you patently offend by your evil acts. And while your ruin is certain, beware of being made guilty of the ruin of another. For the less you fall by sinning, the more easily you may rise again by the outstretched hand of penance, through the mercy of God. Chapter 21. That God does not wish to receive sacrifice from the hands of the impure. If the omnipotent God himself disdains to accept sacrifice from your hands, who are you who presume to importunately thrust it upon him who does not wish it? For the sacrifices of the impious are abominable to God. 
But to those among you who are angry with me and refuse to listen to the writer, at least listen to the one who speaks to you from the prophetic mouth. Listen to him, I say, declaring thundering, rejecting your sacrifices, publicly denouncing your services. For Isaiah, select among the prophets, indeed, the Holy Spirit, by the mouth of Isaiah, says, Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the law of our God, ye people of Gomorrah. To what purpose do you offer me the multitude of your victims, saith the Lord? I am full. I have not desired holocausts of rams, and fat of fatlings, and blood of calves, and lambs, and buck goats. When you came to appear before me, who required these things at your hands, that you should walk in my courts, offer sacrifice no more in vain. Incense is an abomination to me. The new moons and the Sabbaths and other festivals I will not abide. Your assemblies are wicked. My soul hateth your new moons and your solemnities. They are become troublesome to me. I am weary of bearing them. And when you stretch forth your hands, I will turn away my eyes from you. And when you multiply prayer, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. End quote. Observe, therefore, that although the sentence of divine punishment must strike all of the evils of the vices in common, it is hurled chiefly upon the princes of the Sodomites and the people of Gomorrah, so that even if the temerity of the contentious refuses to believe human testimony regarding the nature of this mortal vice, it might at least acquiesce to divine testimony. However, if someone objects that the following is added to the prophetic statement, Quote, your hands are full of blood, end quote. So that in this declaration of divine invective, he wishes homicide rather than carnal impurity to be understood. He will discover in the divine utterances that all sins are called, quote unquote, blood. To this, David attests, saying, quote, Deliver me from bloods, O God, end quote. Yet, If we also seek to carefully examine the nature of this vice and to recall to mind the maxims of the natural philosophers, we find that the flow of semen is generated from blood. For as by the agitation of the winds the water of the sea is converted into foam, so by the touching of the genitals blood is made into semen by excitation. Therefore, one is not far from a proper understanding if one interprets, quote, your hands are full of blood, as meaning the pestilence of impurity. And perhaps this was because the vengeance against Joab proceeded from none other than the guilt of spilled blood, so that he who had willfully spilled the blood of another would be struck with a worthy punishment if he suffered unwillingly the outflowing of his own blood. But as we have arrived through a long disputation, at the point of clearly showing the Lord himself reprobating and resoundingly prohibiting the sacrifices of those who are unclean. Why are we sinners surprised if we are scorned by such people for our admonitions? If we note that the authority of divine utterance is little heeded by the hardened heart of the reprobate, is it any wonder if we, who are on earth, are not believed? Chapter 22 that no holy offering is received by God if it is stained by the filth of impurity. So now, 
He who disdains the venerable counsels of the Holy Fathers, who despises the precepts of the apostles and of apostolic men, who has not feared to disregard the edicts of canonical punishment, and who thinks little of the rule of divine authority itself, is at least to be admonished to place the day of his summons before his eyes, and should not doubt that the more he sins, the more harshly he will be judged. As is said by the angel using the metaphor of Babylon, quote, as much as she had glorified herself and lived in delicacies, so much torment and sorrow give ye to her, end quote. He should be admonished to consider that, however long he does not cease to suffer from the, from the malady of this vice, even if he is acknowledged as having done some good, he does not deserve to receive a reward. No religiosity, no self-mortification, no perfection of life, which is soiled by such filthy impurity, will be deemed worthy in the eyes of the celestial judge. However, to prove that these things are true, let the testimony of the venerable Bede be presented. Quote, he who thus gives alms while not discharging his guilt does not redeem his soul, which he does not restrain from vices. This is demonstrated by the actions of that hermit who, having many virtues, had entered into the eremitic life with a certain associate of his. The thought was injected into him by the devil that whenever his sexual passions were excited, he should discharge his semen by the rubbing of his genitals by his genital member, just as he might expel mucus from the nostrils. For this reason, as he died, he was turned over to demons while his companion watched. Then the same companion, who was ignorant of his guilt and recalling his virtuous exercises, almost despaired, saying, Who can be saved if this man has perished? Then an angel standing by him said to him, Do not be troubled, for this man, although he might have accomplished much, has nonetheless soiled everything by that vice which the apostle calls impurity. End quote. Chapter 23 that all of the above-named forms constitute sodomy. Therefore, no one should flatter himself that he has not fallen with someone else if he slips into these defilements of sensual enticement by himself, as that unhappy hermit who was turned over to demons at the moment of death should be understood not to have polluted another, but to have ruined himself by defilement. Just as from one planting of a vine various shoots spring forth, so from one sodomitic impurity, as the most poisonous root, those four growths enumerated above rise up, so that whoever might pick the pestilential grapes from any one of them likewise perishes, immediately infected with the poison. For their vine is from the vineyard of the sodomites, and their offshoots are from Gomorrah. Quote, their grapes are grapes of gall, and their clusters most bitter. End quote. For this serpent, which we labor to crush with the stake of our argument, has four heads, and he injects all the poison of his wickedness with the tooth of whichever head is bitten. Therefore, whether one pollutes only himself, or another by fondling him with his hands, or copulating between the thighs, or even violating him in the rear, regardless of such distinctions, 
he is without a doubt guilty of having committed a sodomitic offense. For we do not read that those residents of Sodom only fell into the rear ends of others, but rather it is to be believed that following the impulse of unrestrained lust, they carried out their indecencies in various ways on themselves or on others. Clearly, if some place of indulgence were to be provided in the ruin of this vice, to whom would forgiveness be more applicable than to that hermit who sinned without knowing, who fell in the ignorance of his simplicity, who concluded that it was permitted to him as a duty of natural obligation? May such wretched people learn. May they learn to restrain themselves from the pestilence of such a detestable vice, to manfully overcome the alluring lasciviousness of sexual desire, to repress the wanton incitement of the flesh, to fear deeply the terrible sentence of divine punishment, ever calling to mind that maxim of apostolic admonition which states, quote, It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. End quote. They should also recall that which the prophet menacingly cries out, saying that, In the fire of the zeal of the Lord of all the earth will be devoured, and all flesh in his sword. For if carnal men are to be devoured by the divine sword, why do they now damnably love the same flesh? Why do they weakly cede to the pleasures of the flesh? It is undoubtedly that sword which the Lord through Moses points at sinners, saying, quote, I shall wet my sword as the lightning, end quote. And again, my sword shall devour flesh. That is, my fury will swallow those who live in the delight of the flesh. For just as those who fight against the abominations of the vices are supported by the help of heavenly virtue, so those who, to the contrary, are given to the impurity of the flesh, are reserved for the sole sentence of divine vengeance. Thus Peter also says, quote, The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly from temptation, but to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be tormented, and especially them who walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanliness. End quote. And scolding them elsewhere, he says, quote, Counting for a pleasure the delights of a day, stains and spots, sporting themselves to excess, rioting in their feasts with you, having eyes full of adultery and of sin that ceaseth not. End quote. Those who have been placed in holy orders should not glory if they live detestably, because the higher they stand, the further they fall, and because they should now excel others in a life of holy conversation, they will later be required to endure more severe punishments. As Peter states, Quote, for if God spared not the angels that sinned, but delivered them, drawn down by infernal ropes to the lower hell, unto torments, to be reserved unto judgment, and reducing the cities of the Sodomites and of the Gomorites into ashes, condemned them to be overthrown, making them an example to those that should after act wickedly. End quote. Why does the Holy Apostle turn to the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah? after relating the fall of diabolical damnation, unless it is to clearly show that those who are now given to the vice of impurity will be damned to eternal punishment along with the unclean spirits, and that those who are now vexed by the ardor of sodomitic lust must later burn in the flame of perpetual combustion 
with the very author of all iniquity? The Apostle Jude most appropriately agrees with this view as well, saying, quote, The angels, who kept not their principality, but forsook their own habitation, he hath reserved under darkness and everlasting chains, unto the judgment of the great day, as Sodom and Gomorrah and the neighboring cities, in like manner, having given themselves to fornication and going after other flesh, were made an example, suffering the punishment of eternal fire. End quote. It is therefore clear that just as the angels who do not recognize their superior position deserve to suffer in the darkness of the underworld, so also those who fall from the dignity of holy orders into the chasm of sodomy are rightly plunged into the abyss of perpetual damnation. To briefly conclude, whoever has soiled himself with the contamination of sodomitic disgrace in whatever way distinguished above, unless he is cleansed by the fulfillment of fruitful penance, can never have the grace of God, will never be worthy of the body and blood of Christ, and will never cross the threshold of the celestial homeland, as is manifestly declared in the book of Revelation by the Apostle John, who, while speaking of the glory of the heavenly kingdom, adds, quote, There shall not enter into it anyone defiled and that worketh abomination. End quote. Chapter 24 An Exhortation to the Man Who Has Fallen Into Sin That He Might Rise Again Arise, arise, I implore you. Wake up, O man, who sinks in the sleep of wretched pleasure. Revive at last, you who have fallen by the lethal sword before the face of your enemies. The Apostle Paul is here. Hear him, hear him proclaiming, urging, rousing, crying out to you with clear maxims. Quote, Rise, thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall awaken thee. End quote. You who hear Christ, the reviver, why do you despair of your own resuscitation? Hear it from his own mouth. He that believeth in me, although he be dead, shall live. If life the vivier wishes to raise you up, why do you bear to continue lying in your own death? Beware then, beware, lest the abyss of despair swallow you up. May your soul faithfully trust in divine kindness, lest it become hardened in impenitence by the magnitude of the crime. For it is not sinners who despair, but the impious. Nor is it the magnitude of offenses that leads the soul into despair, but rather impiety. For if only the devil was able to submerge you in the depths of this vice, how much more is the strength of Christ able to return you to that pinnacle from which you fell? Shall he that fell rise again no more? The ass of your flesh, under the weight of a burden, has fallen into the mud. It is the spur to penance which pricks. It is the hand of the Spirit which vigorously extracts it. That most strong Samson, because he wrongly disclosed the secret of his heart to a coaxing woman, not only lost seven strands of hair by which his strength was maintained, but also, after being captured by the Philistines, lost his eyes. However, after his hairs had regrown, he humbly requested the help of the Lord God, leveled the temple of Dagon, and annihilated a much greater number of the enemy than he had before. Therefore, if your unchaste flesh has deceived you by enticing you to pleasures, if it has taken away the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit, 
If it is extinguished, the light not of the countenance, but of the heart, do not falter in your courage. Do not despair utterly. Continue to gather your strength. Strive manfully. Dare to attempt the courageous. And you will be able to triumph by the mercy of God over your enemies. The Philistines certainly were able to shave the hair of Samson, but not to uproot it. And so, although evil spirits have excluded the charisms of the Holy Spirit from you for a while, by no means are they able to irrecoverably deny the remedy of divine reconciliation. How, I ask, are you able to despair of the abundant mercy of the Lord, who even rebuked Pharaoh for not fleeing to the remedy of penance after sinning? Hearken to what he says, quote, I have crushed the arms of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he has not asked to be given health, and for strength to be returned to him for grasping the sword, end quote. What ought I say of Achab, the king of Israel, after he constructed idols, after he impiously slaughtered Naboth, the Jezreelite? He was finally partially humiliated and also partially found mercy. For, according to the scripture, after receiving the terror of divine warning, quote, he rent his garments and put haircloth upon his flesh and fasted and slept in sackcloth and walked with his head cast down, end quote. What followed? Quote, the word of the Lord came to Elias, the Thesbite, saying, Hast thou not seen Achab humbled before me? Therefore, because he hath humbled himself for my sake, I will not bring the evil in his days, end quote. Therefore, if the penance of that man who is known to have persevered is not despised, why do you despair of the abundance of the divine mercy? If you indefatigably strive to persevere, enter into a constant struggle with the flesh and always stand armed against the importunate fury of lust. If the flame of wantonness burns in your bones, the recollection of perpetual fire should immediately extinguish it. If the clever deceiver presents you with the sleek beauty of the flesh, your mind should immediately turn its eye to the graves of the dead and carefully note what there is agreeable to touch or delight to see. It should thus consider that the slime that now stinks intolerably, that the pus that gives birth to worms and feeds them, that whatever dust, whatever dry ashes are seen to lie there, were once joyful flesh that was subject to passions of this kind during its youth. Finally, it should imagine the rigid tendons, the bare teeth, the separated structure of bones and joints, and the whole composition of members chaotically dispersed. A monster of such terrible deformity and jumbled likeness expels illusion from the human heart. Consider, therefore, how perilous is the exchange for a momentary pleasure in which semen is ejected in an instant, the punishment that follows does not end for thousands of years. Consider how wretched it is that, for the sake of one member whose enjoyment is now fulfilled, the whole body together with the soul is perpetually tormented by the most dreadful conflagration of flames. Repulse such imminent evils with the impenetrable shields of this thought and others of the same kind, and eliminate those of the past through penance. Let fasting break the arrogance of the flesh, and let the soul be enlarged, fattened by feasts of prayer. In this way, 
The presiding spirit may restrain the subjected flesh by the bridle of discipline and strive daily to hasten to the heavenly Jerusalem by steps of fervent desire. Chapter 25. That for the taming of the sexual desire, it should be sufficient to contemplate the rewards of chastity. In work there is also recompense, so you should incessantly consider the promised rewards of chastity, and roused by their sweetness, pass over any opposing scheme of the clever and trapper with the unimpeded foot of faith. For if one meditates on the happiness that is not obtained without toil, the labor is easily carried out, and the hired laborer lightens the tedium of work while eagerly anticipating the earnings that are owed to him. Consider, therefore, what is said of the soldiers of chastity by the prophet. Quote, Thus saith the Lord to, our, to the Enoch's, They that shall keep my Sabbaths, and shall choose the things that I would, and shall hold my covenant, I will give unto them in my house and within my walls a place and a name better than sons and daughters. End quote. Indeed, Enoch's are those who oppress the insolent impulses of the flesh and cut away from themselves the performance of perverse acts. However, most of those who are devoted to the pleasure of carnal attraction long to leave behind themselves a memory of their name through the posterity of descendants. This they desire with all their heart, because by no means do they regard themselves as dying completely to this world if they perpetuate the glory of their name through the surviving bud of descendants who remain. But much more gloriously and much more happily do the celibate accept the same office for which the common man is inflamed by such passions of fervent ambition, because their memory always lives with him who is eternal and not subject to temporal law. Therefore, by divine declaration, a name better than that of sons and daughters is promised to the Enochs, because they deserve to possess in perpetuity, without any hindrance of oblivion, the memory of a name that the posterity of children would have been able to extend through a brief space of time. 4. The just shall be in everlasting remembrance. In the book of Revelation, it is also said through John, quote, And they shall walk with me in white, because they are worthy, and I will not blot out their name out of the book of life. End quote. And there again it is said, These are they which are not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These follow the Lamb wheresoever he shall go. And what song they sing, no one can say except that 144,000. Indeed, the virgins sing that special song to the Lamb because they perpetually exult with him over the incorruption of the flesh before all the faithful. Clearly, others among the just cannot sing the same song, although those having the same beatitude might deserve to hear it, because in charity they indeed look joyfully upon their high position, yet do not rise to the level of their reward. For this reason it is to be considered and reconsidered in our mind with all zeal, how dignified and how excellent it is to be elevated to the summit of that place where it is perfect happiness to be among even the lowest. There the exalted in privilege ascend, where it is most blessed to preserve the equal rights of equity. Doubtlessly, as the truth testifies, not everyone takes this proverb in this generation, and thus not all ultimately arrive at that glory of exceptional reward. These things, 
and many others of this kind, beloved brother, whoever you are, consider in the hidden places of your soul, and with all strength make haste to keep your flesh pure from all pestilence of lust, so that, in accordance with the decree of apostolic doctrine, you might know how to possess your vessel, quote, in sanctification and honor, not in the passion of lust, like the Gentiles that know not God, end quote. If you still stand, beware the precipices, but if you have slipped, faithfully extend your hand to the hook of penance, which is available everywhere, so that you who were not able to live far from Sodom with Abraham may be able to emigrate with Lot, even as the fiery destruction is already urging. For you who had not been able to enter the port, may it at least suffice to have avoided shipwreck from the wave you endured. And may it be pleasing to you who have not merited to arrive in the bay without loss, having disembarked upon the sands following the danger, to sing the song of the blessed Jonah in a cheerful voice. All thy billows and thy waves passed over me, and I said, I am cast away out of the sight of thy eyes, but yet I shall see thy holy temple again. Chapter 26, where the writer defends himself honorably. If, however, this little book might have reached the hands of anyone whose conscience cannot at all bear what is written above, and is by chance displeased by it, and accuses me of being a traitor and an informer of the crimes of my brothers, he should know that I have sought with all zeal the favor of the interior judge, but do not fear the hatred of the depraved or the tongues of detractors. Indeed, I prefer to be thrown innocent into a well with Joseph, who accused his brothers of the worst of crimes to their father, than to be punished by the retribution of divine fury with Eli, who saw the evil of his children and was silent. Four, knowing that the divine voice threatens frighteningly by the mouth of the prophet, saying, quote, If you see your brother doing evil, and you do not correct him, I will require his blood from your hand, end quote. Who am I to watch such a noxious crime spreading among those in holy orders and keeping silent to dare to await the accounting of divine punishment as the murderer of another soul and to begin to be made a debtor of that guilt of which I had been by no means the author? Moreover, while scripture says, quote, Cursed be he that withholdeth his sword from blood, end quote, you urge me to place the sword of my tongue in a sheath of silence so that it itself might perish while it rusts in disfavor, and be of no use to others, while it does not pierce the faults of those who live depraved lives. Indeed, to prohibit the sword from blood is to restrain the word of correction from striking carnal ways of life, of which sword again it is said, from his mouth came out a sharp two-edged sword. For how am I loving my neighbor as myself, if I negligently allow the wound, by which I do not doubt him to be dying a cruel death, to fester in his soul. Seeing, therefore, the spiritual wounds, should I neglect to cure them by the surgery of words? The eminent preacher, who believes himself to be clean of the blood of others, insofar as he does not refrain from punishing their vices, does not teach me thus. For he says, quote, Wherefore, I take you to witness this day that I am clear from the blood of all men. For I have not spared to declare unto you all the counsel of God. End quote. 
I am not so instructed by John, who was instructed by the angelic admonition. He that heareth, let him say, Come. Indeed, so that he who receives the interior call might bring others with him by also crying out, lest even he who is called find the door closed if he approaches alone the one who calls him. If you think that it is right to rebuke me, who rebukes, and, so to speak, to accuse me of presumptuous accusation, why do you not reproach Jerome, who disputes so caustically against various sects of heretics? Why do you not censure Ambrose, who preaches publicly against the Arians? And why not Augustine, the severe disputant who inveighs against the Manichaeans and the Dotsonists? You say to me, quote, They acted rightly because they reviled heretics and blasphemers, but you do not fear to do the same to Christians, end quote. To which I briefly respond, Just as they struggled to return to the flock those who had left and were lost, so it is also our intention to prevent the exit of those who in some way remain inside. They once said, quote, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have remained with us. End quote. And we say, They indeed are with us, but in a bad way. Therefore, let us strive, if it be possible, that hereafter they might be with us in a good way. This also we add, that if the worst sin is blasphemy, I do not know in what sense sodomy is better. For the former causes men to stray, the latter to perish. The former separates the soul from God, the latter joins it to the devil. The former expels it from paradise, the latter plunges it into Tartarus. The former blinds the eyes of discernment, the latter casts it into an abyss of ruin. If we take care to investigate with precision which the two crimes weighs more heavily on the scale of divine judgment, the sacred scripture, having been consulted, more clearly teaches us. There the children of Israel, who blaspheme God by worshiping idols, are led into captivity. But the Sodomites are found to have been devoured in the flames of heavenly fire and sulfur. I have not presented the holy doctors so that I might presume to compare the smoking firebrand to the bright stars. I indeed, who am hardly able to commemorate such excellent men with my unworthy mouth without committing an offense. However, I say that what they have done by reproaching and confounding vices, they have also taught their inferiors to do. And if in their time this plague had arisen with such liberty of impudence, we believe without doubt that copious volumes of books written against it would be seen today. Therefore, no one should judge me for arguing against a mortal vice, given that I do not seek opprobrium, but rather the advancement of fraternal well-being. Otherwise, while persecuting the one who rebukes, one might seem to favor the offender. To use the words of Moses, quote, If any man be on the Lord's side, let him join with me. That is to say, that anyone who considers himself to be a soldier of God should fervently gird himself to confound this vice, should not cease to fight it with all of his strength, and should endeavor to run it through and destroy it with the sharpest darts of words, wherever it might be found. So when the captor is engulfed by a thick array of troops, the captive might be freed from those fetters with which he had been enslaved. And when all unanimously cry out in one consonant voice against the tyrant, 
He who was being carried away is immediately ashamed of being made the prize of the raging monster. He who does not doubt by the testimony of many bearing witness that he is being carried away to death should not be slow to return to life as soon as possible after coming to his senses. Chapter 27, where a statement is addressed to the Lord Pope. Now to you, most blessed Pope, we return at the end of this little work. To you we recall the point of our pen, so that the ending of the work that has been carried out might be rightly completed for him, to whom the beginning is directed. We therefore request and humbly implore that your clemency, if it is right to say so, carefully examine the decrees of the sacred canons, which are already well known to you, and that you designate spiritual and prudent men for this necessary investigation, so you might respond to us regarding these chapters in order to remove every scruple of doubt from our heart. Nor do we thus presume to say, to say this as if we do not know how to apply to this matter the expertise of your profundity alone, which is God as its author, but so that when testimony of sacred authority is applied, when the matter is resolved by the consensus and judgment of many, the accusations of perverse men, which perhaps they would not have blushed to mutter in opposition, might be laid to rest. For what is established by the judgment of many is not easy to dispute. However, it is often the case that a decision which is rendered by one individual in consideration of the impartiality of the law is regarded as prejudiced by others. Therefore, after having diligently inspected the four types of this vice which we enumerated above, may your beatitude deign to mercifully instruct me with a decree determining who among the guilty must be irrevocably cast from ecclesiastical order, and who, in preference of discretion, may be mercifully permitted to remain in this office. Regarding which form of the above-mentioned vices and number of accomplices may an offender be allowed to continue in ecclesiastical dignity, and for which form and number of accomplices with whom he was soiled is he to be compelled and cease from, his, from those duties. Thus many who are laboring under the same ignorance may be instructed by that which is directed to one, as the light of your authority dispels the darkness of our uncertainty, and, so to speak, the plow of the apostolic sea radically uproots the sprout of all error from the field of wavering conscience. May Almighty God grant, O Most Reverend Father, that in the time of your apostolate the monster of this vice may utterly perish, and the condition of the prostrate church might everywhere be restored in accordance with the laws of its youth. And this ends the Book of Gomorrah by St. Peter Damien. And it's a very eye-opening book, especially for the period of history that we're living in as the entire world has become the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah with drag queen, drag queen story hour for children, the pushing of this filth upon children and, and, and the openness now of, of pedophilia and what is what maybe what many people believe to be the actual clergy of the Catholic Church, these Novus Ordo counterfeits, um, just the worst criminals ascending to the heights of the Novus Ordo hierarchy. Well, anyone would want to be part of that cult, which is anti-Catholic and anti-Christ. 
I still don't understand. I really don't understand. Um, so our duty is to fight this sin worldwide, to fight it within our own lives, especially as most of us or many of us have been indoctrinated with this filth from our youth, from the music we listen to and the filth in the music to the mainstream media promoting it, education, uh, universities, movies, billboards, everything, everything. We must do penance for this. We must fast. We must pray. We must pray the rosary. Uh, those who are caught in this vice, you can see, you can see what the result is in your own life, and but also in in society and in what Saint Peter Damian is saying about how God punishes this. Now, obviously, there's always hope. We must turn to Our Lady, the refuge of sinners. You must begin to pray every day if you're not already. You must begin to pick up the rosary, pray the rosary every day, pray all three mysteries, so all 15 decades, um, or build up to it. Go to confession. Fast for me. You have to do penance. You have to make up for these sins. And we must pray to God and Our Lady for assistance in this. So with that, I'm going to end this. Uh, I hope that you profited from it, you learned from it. Please keep in your prayers. Please pray for the salvation of the dying and for the conversion of sinners. And may God have mercy upon us all.